Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show. We have two excellent sponsors this week. Lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash shop talk. Probably the world's biggest online learning resource and environments for humans and their 2014 dot in control conference.com in control is a in-person conference uh this february 17th through 19th in orlando florida we'll tell you about both of those later in the show but for now let's kick things off Dear listener, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, kind of about front end web design development, mostly about sound effects. Chris, yeah, what's this is this is this is unique. We're going to do a couple things. Number one, it's a rapid fire show, so we're going to get to as many questions as we possibly can without any guests or drama or anything. That's indeed what we're going to do. Second, I'm looking Dave right in the eyes right now because we're, <laughs> we're, we're for the first face. time ever we're doing a a live thinger on the, on a Google Plus where you kind of live broadcast it and stuff. We've never done this before, and we spent about ten minutes trying to figure it out. So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully, you all can hear the sound effects and see us and. Whatever. Um, I don't know that we'll take questions through here. Maybe we will. It has a good system for it, but for this particular show, we already have some questions picked out, so we're going to just kind of rock and roll with those. We're going to attempt to enforce the three-minute rule on ourselves here where we, uh, where we kind of don't don't go off on these questions. We just kind of answer it and move on to the next one is, the, is kind of the plan. Uh, does that cover it? I think that's it. Just hot question, unanswer, action. <laughs> This is very exciting. Okay. Ready? Question number one. Neil Hainsworth writes in, do you guys have any advice when the time comes to hand over a WordPress site? I'm trying to engage the client so they get a full understanding of how it works and what it's doing. I design for people who want to be completely self-sufficient once the handoff over is made. But they can get confused or forget best image sizes or where the custom field for the video is. Yep. So do you yep. have any best practices? Three minute time limit. Go. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so you just, Neil has created a WordPress site and he's going to hand it off to the client and say, here you go. Uh, and he, and Neil is concerned that he wants them to learn WordPress. He wants them to, to kind of understand the CMS more than just like a, here you go. See ya kind of thing, which makes sense. Uh, the two things that Neil mentions are, are interesting. They can get confused or what the best image sizes are. Um, that's strange. You'd probably, I would probably tell them, Hey, upload it as big as you can. And then you code as a front end coder. Cause WordPress can create multiple sizes of images as you upload them. So that should kind of be on you to make sure that you resize them the WordPress uploader and make sure that you're using the right size so that, that you know, maybe that's a, f- a coding problem, not necessarily a user problem. Maybe. 
Um, you know, make sure it's big enough anyway. And then where's the custom field for video? You should probably use the, uh, you know, c- the actual custom fields thing that's built into WordPress is like, is like, okay, and that can work. But like, I would probably use something like advanced custom fields and make like a really nice UI field thing for video so that they can, they don't have to like think about it too hard or use the weird native custom field thing. They can use like a built in really nice custom field thing. That's what you get through advanced custom fields with. Uh, and, and for one more thing, I've seen some plugins that are just like install this plugin and turn it on and it kind of uh it has some WordPress training stuff built into it, which is really neat. And I cannot remember the name of it. If you know the name, possibly drop it in chat. I don't even know where chat is here on 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 Google Plus, but whatever. Sure. And and if you want to create your own, like like you know, like that's pre-baked WordPress training, just turn the plugin on. There's another one called WP Help that's like you write your own help documents to expose through the admin, and that's literally called W Help, which is pretty cool. Do you have any thoughts on this, Dave? Uh, yeah, I totally recommend like those um, kind of CMS walkthroughs because that will help you in your business not get so many phone calls for like rando stuff like, hey, how do I post a blog post to my cat? And <laughs> then you're just like, yeah, I, there's a video up there. You, they'll figure it out. I do wish I, I was thinking, I wish there was something like hints, like WP hints. That's a plugin somebody can write, mm. uh, where you're like featured image, you know, 225 pixels by 10,000 pixels or something, some sort of like hint. So when somebody's filling that out, you could be like, Hey, you need to make it at least this big, right? Uh, you know what? It does seem to me that there is some kind of API in WordPress that, that allows you to make those little bubbles, those pop-up bubbles. You know, people mm-hmm. were annoyed by it when that release rolled out and there's pop-up bubbles all over the place. It's not just for admin. There's, you know, there's some kind of API to, to do those. So maybe that you could use that somehow. You could always use jQuery or something to inject it. I'm sure. Uh, time is up. So, next question. The next question is from Ariel Infante. Hi, Shop Talk Show guys. I am an inspiring web designer. <laughs> yeah, I'm inspired by you. Aspiring. Aspire. Oh, okay. Inspiring. Aspire. And I am trying to break into the web career path, but I wanted to spread the word about stuttering awareness. Could you please give your opinion about disabilities, hopefully about stuttering, but not necessarily in the workplace and how you've handled it? Sorry if this comes out as a PSA, a public service announcement, I think, right? But everyone should have an open mind. I absolutely agree there. So, Ariel, maybe you work with somebody who has stuttering or maybe you struggle with it um, as well. I've had little bouts of it myself, but usually can get through the day okay. Is this? Have you worked with someone who had stuttering, Dave, or what do you think about to my knowledge, no, I don't think I have. Uh, but when this question came in, I was like, is this about me? Cause on the podcast, I just kind of ramble and string together likes and ums for about 16 minutes. I doubt it. I think it's a kind of specific but affliction. This is like, yeah, like the speech version. And, you know, I, I wish there was more. It's hard to say because I think it's like a workplace problem in general. I don't think it's specific to web stuff, but. I do think like people need to be way more forgiving about disabilities or whatever, or health or, you know, mental stuff, mental health stuff as well. Like, just like these are people we need to like definitely let them have their, (laughs) live their lives, you know, and, and not like think down or like, Oh, that person has a speech impediment. So therefore they are not, you know, 
they shouldn't get a raise. That's really weird. That's probably really illegal. So, but I think it probably happens. People get slighted and stuff just for very random things that they can't really control, you know? Yeah, that, that would be a huge bummer. Actually, I think it, it would be nice to hear more from you, Ariel, if you have this. What is it like for you and what? how should people react and how can people deal with it? Because I'm sure that it's just a daily occurrence for you or whoever you know that, that has stuttering that it's frustrating for somebody who's listening because the, the pace is all wrong, you know, and just, just listening to can be frustrating. Is there a way that people like me and Dave could, can, can listen or do we just need more patience in general in life? Or is there a way that we can help you? Or is that, I, I just, I don't actually know any of that stuff and would love to know all of that stuff. So maybe it would yeah, be better for our- is like nonverbal communication, like writing or chat, is that better than, you know, having a meeting every 30 minutes for you? Or, and I, you know, I, I would just wonder if there, what alternatives or what helps, you know? Um, Indeed. So you tell us, and maybe we'll tell Shop Talk as we can in a f- That's a future good blog week. post. Would I would be. put that in a blog post and we'll tweet it out or something. So, anyway. Yeah. Next question comes from Dave Rotino. Uh, how do I address responsiveness on items that don't scale well? Tables, custom video embeds, aha, <laughs> that don't play well with Fitbits. Aw. Uh, I understand I can build out sites with custom content specifically for mobile and small screens, but ultimately, but that ultimately means that I or the client will have to update content in mm. two places. Thoughts? Starting the timer here. Uh, Dave mentions tables, you know, a data table may not scale well to a really small screen because you're either zoomed out too far or it's cut off. So like it's kind of sucks in both terms. I, I have a blog post about different ways you can handle, um, responsive tables. And there's, there was actually one by Grigsby recently that was really good. We can link these up in the show notes. They have different, I liked how Grigsby approached it because it was about like, what does the user need to do with this table? And then here's a solution that matches that user desire, which is a nice way to, to kind of handle it. Like, do they need to cross reference or not? Can it just be a chunk? Would that be cool? So there's all these different ways that you can handle that. Tables is, I wouldn't call it a solve solution, but there's ways to handle it. Videos, you can shrink them. I mean, you know, it might be small, but that's what you get. I mean, you can watch a video as big as the size of your screen. You're saying that there's something wrong with Fitbits. Make a reduced test case, open an issue. That's the only way we can help with that. But there's, I don't think there's a such thing as a video that just absolutely doesn't work with it. I mean, it just, it's an iframe and it squishes iframes. So it, it can work in some way. The second part of that question was about, um, you just kind of jump to the conclusion pretty quickly that you need to have content for small screens and content for larger screens. We had an episode not too long ago with Karen McGrain who kind of said, in general, that's a, that's, bad. You should error the other way and that you have the same content in both places, except in very specific situations. So I would not go down that road right away unless you have a really strong reason. What do you think? Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Like go, uh, yeah, tread lightly for sure. Um, the, the thing I would say is, you know, if you're talking about like video and you have like a small video and a large video, which you actually do need to have when you're working with video, because iPhone three only has supports videos up to 480 pixels wide or something like that. Something totally stupid and arbitrary. Um, you know, that's where like the CMS stuff that Karen was talking about really comes into play. Like you just put the small one, the large one, and then 
Uh, maybe you use REST like a server side thing, but maybe you just use JavaScript and go super cheap and replace the source and you'll be fine. Um, there's just stuff like that you need to kind of think of. Um, I think that's the, like media is the big thing, right? Like big flash visualizations, uh, charts and graphs, uh, canvas, anything you drew with canvas and tables. Those are the hardest things to like make responsive. So I think we need more blog posts on that in general, um, across the board. Uh, but yeah, the, it's, I think it's doable is what I want to say. You know, all, all of these things are basically just like little flash movies that you just crunch down. Um, and you can use Fitbits. Fitbits probably won't work out of the box, but learn how Fitbits works. It's only 30 lines of code and then figure out what you need to do. That's what I would say. Oh, that was perfect. All right. Turn it up. Uh, I'm going to do a sponsor real quick. Lynda.com that I mentioned at the top of the show. That's L Y N D A.com slash shop talk. So that, you know, um, they know that you came from here, which is, which is good for the future of shop talk. There's over 2000 courses on Lynda.com, which is kind of amazing. It's like they, you know, there's, there's a course that's the, the scale at which that, that there's a, there's a new course every single day on Lynda.com, which is amazing. It's 25 bucks a month. Is, is the, where the pricing starts at. So it's like extremely inexpensive considering that like it's like college level learning accessible to everybody. Uh, uh, you, if once you get used to the, the system over there, you could like build your own little like empire of learning, which is pretty fun. I have like playlists I've built and, and stuff I've marked that I want to watch later and stuff. So you can even, even if you're in the just like the mood to browse, you can go over to lynda.com and just like pick stuff that looks interesting and add it to your playlist. Uh, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. And they have apps that it syncs across all the apps that they, that they have available for different devices and stuff. Over 2 million people use it. You know, how can you be wrong? Something, something Elvis, you know? <laughs> no, I, it's such a good deal, right? We're, yeah. They're given, we have a code here for seven day trials. That's yeah. So you can't go wrong with that anyway. At least go, go, go get your seven days and suck down some free knowledge and. 2,000 courses. Yeah. That's not 2,000 videos. That's like 2,000 yeah. college courses. And, and each course <laughs> has like, you know, 20 videos in it. I, mean, I don't know what the average is, but it's something like that. I have a course on there, too. Look up me. Anyway, that's lynda.com. Thank you. Josh Dean writes in, you've mentioned grunt a few times in passing. It seems to be all the rage right now. Do you guys use it? What's the benefit? Can we do grunt in three minutes? Go day. Grunt is a task manager and it's Node.js based, which you, that doesn't even matter to you. It just means that you have to use the command line to kind of run it. Uh, in Grunt, basically you say you load it up with all these little tasks like compile my SAS, uh, minify my JavaScript tasks. and compile all that. And then, uh, you know, uh, uh, crap smush all these SVGs into an icon font or something like that. Sure. Hint my JS, lint my JS, compress my images, version the stuff, send it up through FTP, send it to GitHub. Uh, you know, there's just anything that you can think of. It's a task. Yeah. Yeah. Any task you think a robot should be doing, that's what grunt can do. And, and it's not like Ruby has rake and stuff like that. There's in guard, but it, so there's like other versions of this, but grunt is like node based. It's really super fast, really good. Um, and a lot of support behind it. So yeah, it is really cool right now. I just used it on my first project and it took 
the learning curve was pretty like steep for me because I'm just like, oh, what are you doing in my like nightmares that I'm just going to like accidentally reformat my hard drive, <laughs> which is impossible. But that's like my nightmare. So uh, it, it's I found it to be super awesome. And I'm like, why am I not using it? You know, just full time, because all you do is you just go in the command line and you can write like grunt server and that'll just run or whatever. I think there's a server version and then. There's also just like you just type grunt and it'll run once and then boom, like all mm-hmm. your JavaScripts are minified. So you don't have to do that crap by hand or the code kit way. And I love code kit, but it's a little wonk, wonk town in how it kind of smushes together JavaScript. Mm. So th- code kit is a good analogy here in that think of how if you, I mean, uh, this doesn't mean anything if you haven't seen CodeKit, but CodeKit is a task runner too, really. It's just a very specific one. It does your pre-processing, it does your image stuff, it does your squishing, and it does some linting, right? It, it does like, you know, whatever, four, five, six things, whatever it does. It's, it's a task runner, but it's very specific in what it does. Think of Grunt as the same way. It's like a nerdier, way more customizable CodeKit. Or pre-pros or koala or mixture or whatever. I mean, I know they all have a little bit of different approaches, but think grunt just, it can run anything, but you configure it. Uh, I'm very excited about it. I've used it a little bit, um, for a, for a variety of things, but I need to dig in and I want to start writing my own one. I have an idea of what like an ideal grunt workflow looks like for me. I just haven't built it yet. And I'm very excited about carving out some time to, to figure that out because I have like all this stuff I want to do, you know. And you configure it through a JSON file. It looks a little funky at first, but you know, I, I'm like, I'm like looking forward to learning it. Anyway, all right. Uh, I think we no, explained cool. it. You should do it. All right. Well, next question. Sean Day writes in, "Hi guys, I love the show. I was wondering what your opinions are on training places like Maker Square in Austin, Texas. Yeehaw! G School in Denver and others that say they can teach you to become a developer in a revol." relatively short amount of time. I think like two, three months-ish or whatever. I still consider myself a newbie when it comes to building websites and apps, even though I've been learning quite a bit over the couple of years on my own. I find the idea of an intensive multi-week school very appealing to help accelerate my career change from marketer to developer. And schools like these offer assistance in finding job finding jobs after completion. Would you consider attending schools like these? Christopher. Well, yes, you know, I mean, if if you feel like you need to learn some school stuff and it appeals to you to go to school to learn how to do it, um, yes, that would be a good idea, right? Uh, I feel mm-hmm. like, Dave, because you live in Austin, have you heard of Maker Square or no Maker Square people or no yeah, people have so come out of I the know, program? Yeah, so I'm super biased. I <laughs> I really like Maker Square and I think it's one of the coolest things we have in town and they're... Uh, and I, if you want to hear more, listen to my other podcast, the ATX Web Show. <laughs> but, um, but the thing about it is, like, it's really good if you just want to get into it. Like, if you're going kind of from a zero or even a, you know, just a one or a two on the ten point scale, like, just getting into it and getting up to speed. Uh, they have like a demo day at the end of the year or the end of the session, like the three months, and they'll like just basically demo apps that people have built and you know it's varying levels of quality but it's it's very like cool that you can go from like zero to something and you learn things like javascript responsive web design rails so 
And, and this guy who I think he said is a marketer. Is that right? Uh, Sean said he's like from marketing schools or whatever that background, like uh, if I guess like it can only help you in, in as you certainly enter the modern business world. Is it know, expensive? Like, Do you even know? I bet it's kind of expensive, right? I don't probably know, cheaper no, than college. Certainly. I think it's, it's on the like, you know, thousands of dollars, not tens of thousands of dollars. Right. Range, if that makes sense. I knew somebody that went to I one think- called Hackbrite in San Francisco that said it was pretty good. I know that there's like female only ones. If that like interests you and is cool. Um, they have pretty good placement rates, I think, because it's such a, you know, like, like companies that hire a lot, look at these to try to find their best and brightest to get hired. So if you're looking for a job, it's not a bad idea, probably. Uh, I think it's a good idea. I feel like these things, it's their job to stay up to date on this stuff. And, and colleges are more, you know, liberal arts and they're less concerned about learning the, you know, the specifics, the latest and greatest in JavaScript MVC. And they're more about like, Hey, we're going to train you how to, learn learn the abilities that will kind of follow you through life you know uh, yeah. i think they're a good idea i've never heard of anybody that went to one and was like waste of money waste of time goodbye <laughs> yeah i think that's good i think we answer the question sure. uh, i i would do it and if you do maker square uh hit me up or whatever and uh yeah like it's austin you're spending like three months in austin that's a good deal so, all right. Near Bonita asks. Oh wait. Oh, do you? you I got the audio. Oh, cool. If you can do that, that's I, cool. Here we go. Hey guys, uh, Near Bonita here. I do UX and UI design for a company here in Israel, and uh, I also do some front end work on the side. I'm a big foundation and compass advocate, so I'm looking to start a video blog. Uh, I'm searching for CMS to use with my static, static site, which I designed and uh, developed. I attached a link. Uh, so I found WordPress really overwhelming and much too robust for my needs. I'm now taking a look at uh, Leaf CMS, that's L-E-A-F. But uh, I'm a bit worried that I've never heard of it before. So I want you, I want to know if you guys uh, have had any impressions of it. Uh, you better try it. I'm a big fan of the show, so really thanks a lot. I really hope you guys keep keep doing what you do. Um, that's it. Thanks. All right, near Benita calling in. Needs a CMS. He wants a simple first. CMS. He's heard about Leaf, but he's never heard anyone talk about it. So yeah, he needs a CMS for a, specifically for a video blog. He says, and he left a URL for it, which you know I'm not going to link up because I don't know. It's like a testing site. The like I feel like the shelf life of it is probably pretty low. But I looked while it was still up, and it's there. It looks nice. It really looks like a video blog. It's like a grid of videos where like the title of it kind of like overlaps the video and stuff. It, it's it's cool. And then as I was poking around um, your site near, it looks like you work at Wix.com. And Wix is like a hosted CMS. And it said, I'm building a thing called Templify or something like that, which from the screenshots looks like a CMS too. And it just, it it felt interesting to me that it's like, you're like live in CMS land. And this is still such a big question for you, which is interesting kind of, isn't it? Like, I don't know. You, mm-hmm. you, you mm-hmm. think you'd have a lot of opinions about CMSs and stuff. And I understand that you don't. I'm not trying to call you out or anything. I'm just saying, like, that's funny that the CMS question is, like, so near and dear to our heart. That's like, we got to choose the right one. I would not try. I would not. I would try to, as quickly as you can, pick one and move along with it. Because you're going to have bigger problems in your in your world of blogging than just, like, which CMS do I have? You have, you know, you, you need the motivation to 
to, to blog and video blogging is even harder because the pressure is on and all that stuff. You got to just rock and roll. I, you know, I think WordPress is great for stuff like this, but if you just absolutely hate it for some reason, or I, I, I just don't like the, it's too robust argument. That's the one thing I would take issue with. I'm like, you know, you pick something that has less features on purpose. It's like, you know, you never know when you're going to be like, well, I wish I had comments. So I'll, now the CMS that I picked is limited there. Kind of nice mm-hmm. picking with more functionality and picking with less, unless you specifically know that you need less. Uh, I've never heard of Leaf either. It does look like it's specifically very simple. Uh, but the fact that I've never heard of it is a little weird. Not just me. It's not like I've heard of everything in the world. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, picking, picking little startup CMS things is, is feels dangerous ish to me. This, the strength of a CMS, I feel like is in the community. Absolutely. Um, there's this one called site leaf. That's what came up top of mine. And it's a CMS by Oak studios who are from Brooklyn and they're really good. So I'd maybe take that for a spin. Uh, I think if you're doing something simple, man, there's, uh, all these like Dropbox integrated ones, you know, like, like, Tamic or whatever it's called uh that I, I would look into one of those because it sounds like you just want it you have a static site you want it to be a little bit dynamic try that maybe that's Indeed. what i would good answer if, if good luck of uh, your video blog looks awesome i hope that it takes off and the ground and does good Next question, Austin B. writes in, Hey guys, uh, lately I've been frustrated with all the work needed to make my WordPress speedy. The admin dashboard in particular can be slow at times. Any hot tips for making WordPress snappy? Um, Mr. Chris? Yeah. What I thought when I saw this at first is that something weird is going on. WordPress isn't just inherently slow. You know, like I don't, maybe we could look at your setup in particular to other people's, but it's not like, oh, WordPress, the dog of the year, you know, it's just not that slow. So maybe <laughs> your Internet is slow. Maybe you have a really bad host. Maybe there's some kind of infection on your site. Maybe you have a rogue plugin that's doing weird things. There's something else that's going on here. Maybe you could try to just like on your same host, make a new site and install WordPress totally raw and see how fast the word, the admin is there. If it's also slow there, there's, there's something funky going on. And how do you measure slowness? You know, is it slow compared to other just general sites you visit on the internet or are those slow too? Like just declaring WordPress is slow. I, I don't have enough information there to tell you. I do know that you can, you know, you can cache WordPress and, and there's, there's good front end, but a lot of that stuff specifically doesn't cache stuff for you. So I don't think, I don't know of any plugins that are specifically aimed at making the admin dashboard faster. Uh, and then, you know, like how important is that also, you know, of course you don't want it to be slow, but do recognize that the, the back end of WordPress is just for you, you know, and it doesn't necessarily affect people visiting the site. So it, it doesn't possibly, you know, it doesn't need to be the fastest thing in the world. Uh, what else you got, Dave? Uh, I do know WordPress has switched over their architecture quite a bit. I think in the admin, it's now kind of like backbone and stuff like that. So I would expect things to improve. Uh, the, but I mean, they are maybe loading a ton of JavaScript. I, I always go through and I just turn off all those BS little widgets that I'm not using. It's like, Mm, where you go up to the tab at the top that says screen options or whatever it is. Yeah. And then uncheck all of them and then check only the ones I actually want, which are usually like the post stats, 
you know, which I don't even need to know. It's like, I know. Oh, how I, many, know. I don't even care. I like when you turn on one where it has the spark line and the thing. You're like, oh, God, don't get me started on spark lines. Hey, yeah. Nobody's ever, uh, nobody's ever extracted interesting, relevant information from a spark line. Oh, I get them all the time. I'm like, I'm like, only spark lines. <laughs> I do. I do. You read my, the newspaper my, and only spark lines. I just hand my accountant a spark line every year. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Hey, uh, yeah. So I, um, I would maybe also look at your server because it sounds like um, you're out of RAM if it's really slow or something. Um, maybe you're hitting memory limits. That's because that's that's WordPress's like Achilles heel is that it can quickly if something's rogue, like just expound all the memory. I feel like so. And that's maybe not even a WordPress problem. But Jack Oliver writes in, so we've just launched a startup. You seem like you have a lot of experience in this area with CodePen and CSS tricks, etc. What's the best way for us to get the app slash platform out there and get people using it? Jack wants to know, got a new startup. He's trying, essentially trying to market it. He's trying to get users. He's trying to, to grow it up. That's what everybody wants, right? Page views, users engagement possibly um roi yeah dave can take it you've you've made products before how did you get people made, to use i made a couple things but uh, it's real that's the toughest part you know it's like building it is the fun and like that's the romantic part because you're like i'm building this thing and everyone's gonna to use you it, it is and then you and then you launch it, and it's like no one's using it. Why? What happened? Um, I think the biggest thing is just you know, like I I come down to that 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 hustle thing that like Gary Vee or whoever talks about, and not that like you need to stay up till midnight answering emails every day, uh, but sure, just just like you need to have really good customer service. You need to like just be like, hey, how can I help you? Let me know what's what I can do better or what you know. You need to take like that humble approach. I feel like um, if you're just doing a startup, I mean, there are different startups. There are different breeds of startups too. You know, like Square, the <laughs> the credit card dongle. Yeah, thing, they solve like such hanging. a big problem that the people will come, kind of thing. Yeah, like every everyone just shows up at their door. You know, mm-hmm. they have they have the opposite problem that most startups have, which is like user acquisition or whatever. So that's that's what's tough, and then it's that demonstrating value, you know, and ease of use. And, you know, that's, that's what people want. They want it easy. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Indeed. It is, it is probably the hardest thing, right? And that getting people to use your thing is not a tech problem. And you're, 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 your whole life has led to solving tech problems, but now it's now, now you're past that. Now you need marketing and stuff, which is, which is tough. And even if you have excellent marketing, how do you get that marketing in front of all the right people? And all, I don't know. You know, I guess that's a part of marketing. But uh, what, so, what do you guys do for CodePen? I mean, you're wearing a CodePen sweatshirt. Yeah, right first now. of all, buy hoodies. Clearly, there you go. I'll do it. So, no, I like, actually think that has very, very little to do with it. My my advice is, I've been you know thinking about this more and more recently. Is that uh, anybody who's had most of the success, anybody that you've heard of in the industry, it largely has to do with writing. Right, 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 all the time. Any success I've ever had is only due to the fact that I I write down everything and I publish it on a blog. Surely, 
Um, there's, you know, some attention is drawn to, to Paravel through your blog and through Trent's blog. I don't think, um, Reagan blogs very much, a little bit, right? But it's not, it's, it's, it's very cool. It's a different kind of cool. It's like all like art or like, yeah, it has a blog, but it's not like less today. I went to the movies and it was a good movie. Not that either of you do that too, but it's not like writing like that. Uh, anyway, but certainly, you know, Trent's blog had tons of attention around it because it has this art direction style and it's cool and it shows off that, that Trent's a smart guy and thinks about stuff and you do too and have this developer tint to it all. Uh, surely that's how you got some some clients and stuff. And there's there's some people that I was just talking to somebody at a conference recently that was like, why is this person so popular in the industry? I'm better than them. I'm a better designer than them. I'm a better developer from them. I have bigger thoughts than they do. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't blog and they do. And that's all I got. You know, like, I'm sure that's why. It's because they write. They write. Yeah. So you write. I, you got a startup? Write about the problem that you solve. Write about everything you can possibly write about because I don't know. I mean, that's all I got. There's certainly there's other ways, but my advice is just write, 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 write. That's, I, that's really interesting. Cause like, I think that's, I think that's very true. Like even there's like really stupid people who have huge followings be only because they write, like, cause they're just being a voice or, you know, and people are identifying with little tidbits. So Yeah. <laughs> Get out there. Good. Next. This week is sponsored by the In Control Conference. It's a conference put on by uh, the Environments for Humans, longtime sponsor of Shop Talk Show, and uh, the AIGA, the little design organization, down there in Orlando, Florida. It's coming up this February 17th through 19th. The URL is 2014.incontrolconference, all one more, dot com. So Dave's going to be there. That should be pretty awesome. Estelle Weil. One of the things about this conference is that the talks are 90 minutes long, so the, and it's one track, so they're super in-depth, long, like real learning, deep sessions. It's kind of the deal of this conference. It's one of the first ones I went to that I really, really liked um, and just remember thinking, wow, they really knocked it out of the park with this one. It's at a pretty cool hotel with like the elevator that's like like glass that like looks over the whole inside of the hotel as you come down and uh the 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 event and the hotel is like the same place and they're in orlando and you'll want to go down there this february 17th through 19th where it's going to be freezing cold here in wisconsin and maybe i'll just hop down there too and check it out uh we'll see kind of pending if i'm gonna go but dave will be there for sure uh i love it go to in control yep looks good looks good all right Moving on, here we go. Uh, Singh Ishwardas writes, and I am yet a CSE undergrad student, and the big problem that I am currently facing is that I like both C++ and CSS. Uh, I also like native programming. I am also am in love with front-end programming, mostly on the web. Will I have to leave one and choose another to be at least good at one thing? They are different on different ends of the spectrum. Uh, or could I be great at both of them together? Whoa. What is CSE? Computer science and engineering, engineering or something? Is that probably yeah. what it is? So he's in he's an undergrad right now. Digging C plus plus and C. I mean, I think he, I don't know. When I was I was I had some degree that was like that. I forget what we called it at Whitewater. It's like whatever. It was programming and stuff, but it had a different name. 
there was there was very few kids who were like killing it with multiple languages and in love with it and worried about having to pick which language they're going to love the most. You're, I'm sure yeah. you're surrounded with idiots, right? That are just like, you know, it's just whatever. Just you know, worried what kind of pizza they're going to get for lunch more than than that the fact that they love C plus plus and CSS. Oh my god, am I going to have to pick which one? I think you're already in a good position just knowing that you already kind of love this stuff. Um, do you have to pick right now? I don't know. Maybe you will someday have to, to have to focus in more because you know, being the jack of all trades isn't. But I kind of doubt it. I think you can you can knock out projects in both of them. I think one of them may just emerge as a clear winner as time goes on in your life, and you pick a project that you really like and just plug away at it. But I don't, I don't feel like you need to like wake up tomorrow and just declare which one you're going to pursue and drop the other one, you know, like a bad habit. I don't I don't see that as a big need. And if you know, and maybe you know, right back in if there's a if there's some reason why you think that you have to do that, you know. The, well, I know that's not clear to me. Uh, I will say every company I know, I think is looking for an iPhone developer an objective C iPhone developer. So if you like money, (laughs) that's a pretty good one. Uh, But I think you will have to choose, but I I don't think it's like mutually exclusive. You know, there there's uh, my friend, Matt Thompson, who we should get on the show, uh, but he's a, iOS developer. He works over at Heroku right now, but he's uh, he builds all these libraries for iOS stuff in epic, epic libraries. But then he like makes the like marketing website for it. Like he's super skilled. He's a total unicorn in that regard. He can design and code it all. So I mean, there's like opportunities to use all your skills. You know, it, don't don't shoehorn yourself. But also, maybe you know, do you like the really programmatic like making things out of nothingness of C++ or do you like the like I can make things pretty with CSS you know which 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 do you like more I think there's you'll probably eventually find out which one you like the most indeed <laughs> Keith rich and good yeah <laughs> your finger was a gun right there well, I mean uh, I practice yeah. Keith Richnifsky. All right, Keith. What are your opinions it. about Oracle ADF? I am in a personal battle with a colleague right now who feels ADF is the is the way web applications should be built. I totally disagree with that though because of bloating, lack of control, performance kill, no responsiveness, in, inadequate ability to enhance a user's experience. Wow, that sounds that's a pretty scathing review of ADF. Keith. On top of that, they don't even support HTML5. Shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't web applications, whether they're internally driven or or whatever, be lightweight and you know future friendly and stateless and all that kind of stuff? What do you think? Have you even heard of Oracle ADF, Dave? Yeah, I think so. I feel like I just I've heard a question like this before, but this is like I I think you. I this does not sound good. I mean, it sounds like it's like a Java developer's <laughs> wet dream or something. <laughs> I mean, it's just you know, it's like I can just chuck Java and it like makes an app, you know, and and like with you know whatever tables that sort, yeah, have sort buttons and stuff like that. And that's like, oh my god, that's so cool, right? But like, 
I mean, HTML5 has to be a flag because like HTML5 is basically built for web applications, right? Um, uh, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Like it, it's sort of like if, if your company can build an internal tool in six weeks as opposed to 100 weeks, you should probably go with the, the one that does it in six weeks. You know, that might be good for your company. Uh, however, you know, if it builds something super crappy and every employee hates in six weeks, well, then it's probably, you probably need to scrap that project and build something better. Right? Yeah. Um, I'm quoting here. Oracle ADF is an end-to-end Java EE framework that simplifies application development by providing out-of-the-box infrastructure services in a visual and declarative development experience. And then it it's just beans support. There's just a just a th- pile of links underneath it, white papers and just everything. So I look at this thing and I just I just I don't even throw up in my mouth. I throw up out of my mouth. There's barf everywhere here. And I just I'm a biased. I'm a jerk. I I would never even try to learn something like this. Just how gnarly this all looks to enterprise. But it's not for me, right? So they don't care what I think. You just shouldn't care what I think about ADF. It didn't come out of nowhere, probably. This thing grew up from something. It probably does solve real problems for real enterprise customers that are doing stuff. It's probably not, and, and you know, you call it bloating and lack of control and performance killing and no response. Maybe some of that stuff is true, but I, uh, but I, I, I have a suspicion that if you use everything just right here, it's not inherently slow and awful and terrible. I'm sure if you use everything just perfectly how they have it laid out, uh, it can be, it can be fast and stuff and you you can you can kind of do what you want to do with it. I just feel like I'm not the right person to judge this kind of thing. It's clearly for a world in which that I am not a part of. I certainly don't like totally green light it. It doesn't make me feel good inside and I'm not recommending it or anything, but I'm just saying that the world that this thing is a part of is so far away from me that I just have, I, I almost have no opinion at all. Yeah. And there may be a, I mean, it depends if you're enterprise in an enterprise company or whatever, there may be a chance you have no say in like, just cause like developers are developers and they'll choose the developer thing and you're a designer and you have to choose the designer thing. Yeah. Oh, <sighs> sorry. Good luck. Antonio Ortiz writes, Hey guys, does it make sense to use sprites in your workflow when your image folder is broken up into two or more subfolders? Hmm. Example, I have an image folder and in it I have a folder called non-retina images and one called retina images. Mm, there's huh. something else going on here. Uh, I would not let your subfolders decide whether you use sprites or not. That's not something that you want, like d- determining the experience and, res- and, and speediness of your site. Like, well, I'd like to have less HTTP requests, but I got a folder here, so it's I can't do it. You know, like, that's the worst. Never make decisions based on that. However, it's still a technical challenge that might be interesting. I bet there's I bet there's a grunt thing for it. I bet maybe Compass can handle your images in this way. Maybe there's some other thing. And there's tons of tools that have kind of grown up around spriting. It's been less popular recently just because of how most icons these days are single color and the icon font thing works really well for them and SVG and stuff. Uh, I haven't seen a ton of, like, awesome sprite stuff come up, but certainly people use it and it'll probably come back once multicolored icons start being cool again. 
in vogue. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just just find a way. I mean, definitely don't make the decision based on the subfolders. And I, you know, if if it's retina or not retina, I could take that whole non-retina images folder, sprite that up, sprite up the whole one in retina images too, and then just swap the sprite based on the mm-hmm. the sizing. And and you don't even have to do the math all over again. If you just take the retina one, assuming it's two x, literally make a background size fifty percent, fifty percent. The math of the positioning stays the same. So it's just a matter of flipping out that that retina image and to be okay. Final thoughts? Yeah, I I would say automate it. That's what you need to do. Yeah. And and with grunt or which we talked about or compass or like that was taken uh, for granted. Like of course you're not hand making I mean, sprites, are you? Whew. Yeah, hopefully not. I mean that that's the big thing. And then on your CSS file, you just say whatever your retina media query. Boom different image, my retina sprite. So I, I think that's, that's going to save you a lot of headaches. So, um, Indeed. do it. So there's a lot of questions being asked right here in the Google hangout. Uh, I like that. And thanks for the questions. Maybe we'll chuck some of them in the shows for the future. We can't answer them because we kind of have a plan worked out here. So thanks for the questions. We'll, we'll try to save them and then in the future. Maybe we'll, we'll chunk off some space just to answer the live ones. Yeah, that would be good. That would be good. Bogsy Ovenden. Bogsy Ovenden. Sorry, there's a lot of vowels best, in there that could go name. either way. I do like Bugsy, though. It's kind of like a Bugsy, see? Anyway, Down it works very well back. for Rapid Fire. Could you talk a bit about custom elements and why they are or aren't a good idea? Won't they dilute the semantic value of already existing elements such as header and footer? They already seem kind of confusing. Thanks. Love the show. Uh, so custom elements, possibly possibly web components is what Bugsy's talking mm-hmm. about here. I think mm-hmm. there, at one point there was going to be an XHTML2 in which you could just make up element names. That was part of the deal is that right. you could just you could have a Dave element, no big deal, you can style it. Uh, and, and, and there's an interesting question here is, and now with web components, it's kind of coming back a little bit. You can kind of invent a new element and it's kind of rad actually. And the, there'll be more and more talk about this as time goes on here about how you can kind of hide some of the infrastructural elements within the element. So if you have like a slider, for example, and there's like navigation from the slider gets created, you don't have to like have that navigation markup in there because it's a little bit irrelevant, right? A slider semantically is just, you know, chunks of of slider material. That's like the semantic nature Mm -hmm. of a slider, but you could abstract all that navigation markup out of it. Uh. So, but then you might call that slider element slider. Now, what is what is what does that mean to, for accessibility? What does the slider element mean? You just invented that out of scratch. There's no meaning to that at all. I don't know what to tell you. That does seem like it dilutes the semantic value of documents. I don't know. Maybe you can apply ARIA roles to give it some semantic nature stuff. Maybe it's just treated like a div. You know, don't use it unless unless it could have been a div kind of thing. And that's we have ways around that right now. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the what what the deal is there. I, I think it enhances the semantics personally. Uh, I mean, like if the the big example enhances. that comes to mind is like like bar chart. If you had a bar chart element, right? Whoa, HTML doesn't have that in HTML. I'd have to do div id bar chart and do a bunch of BS divs that look like bars to like kind of show a bar chart yeah. or a canvas element or whatever. So. For me, it's like, dude, like we could actually get some really useful elements like out of this. I mean, sure, people are going to make like 
A elements or, or sorry, like G elements. Google's using a G element for their Google Plus buttons. Uh, that's pretty wonky. I don't know. But like they're first to market. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I just kind of think like where it will get like wild, but everything should be prefixed with like the X dash, like X dash picture or something like that. I think they made, recently made a change to to make it yeah that you do have to have that prefix yeah i and then if you use if you use the thing polymer it's like tk or something right now it's like maybe it's i don't know what the deal is but you have to have the prefix or it doesn't work yeah so i i think that's kind of something you should like i think they're going to be really cool i mean and and i feel like oh yeah it's basically you're just making a component that spits out some divs and spans or whatever but like from a structure standpoint, it looks totally semantic. Like my dream is the CSV element where it's like you just put comma separated values with returns and boom, you get a table with headers and footers and stuff, mm. whatever. But there you go. <laughs> Next question comes from Jason Founts. Have you investigated switching your local development to AAMPPS? I know you have been a big MAMP pro fan, but I've been reading that it's stale. Ooh, hot drama. And AMPPS has a lot of activity thoughts. I hadn't heard of it. I went to the website. The website looks all right. Ish. Um, it's <laughs> it's uh, yes. Yeah, so it's PHP, my, MySQL, and Apache, just like MAMP is, but also has Perl and Python in there, too, which is appealing to me. That's it's nice. like, cool, you get a free Python server, too, so if I wanted to play with that, which I never have other than just poking at it occasionally at, at previous jobs, but not never in a serious way. That's cool. I wouldn't mind having a Python server around that I could use. And then like, I kind of go through the slider here. There's a, of course there's a giant hero slider at the top of it. The next hero slider says there's 312 packaged apps, you know, with WordPress and, and Joomla and, and, and stuff in here that apparently it's like one click ad kind of thing and that immediately freaked me out i'm like seriously you guys you, you packaged 312 apps with it like what if one of them stops working are you gonna are you gonna support it absolutely not right that's way too many apps to, to support right do you just pull it out then or whatever it just seems like this like dumb thing they're like oh we're just gonna slap 312 cms's and stuff in here too here you go bleh. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily like that. The other reason I haven't like switched over is because MAP has been fine. I even uploaded to, to upgraded to Mavericks and I didn't even have to do anything fancy where you have to like give it special access. I didn't even have to do that. MAP works totally fine on it. Like I don't like personally rocking the boat on things that work fine for me just because that's not my wheelhouse. If, if it is your wheelhouse to like, play with the development environments and stuff and you get a kick out of that or you have to because that's part of your job or whatever, by all means, find the one that you like the most. And so I find, you know, the fact that MAMP is stale almost kind of a good thing. Like, don't upgrade all the time and screw up my dev environment. I don't like dealing with dev environments. So if it works fine, just keep it working fine. <laughs> so I haven't seen it. Have you seen AMP stay? Uh, I have not, and yeah, I don't. I don't think I'd make a lateral switch. I mean, Python and stuff is nice, but that's all built into OSX and pretty easy to get into Windows and stuff like that. So I don't think I'd ever install it. the The marketing site looks a little Joomla e, which is maybe not my favorite, uh, like cell. Um, but the thing, I don't know where I would lean is. I don't know if you've heard of Vagrant. Um, it's basically like 
It's a command line tool where you basically say, clone this whole server environment on my local machine and start running it, please. And, and so it's, it's kind of like this, uh, I don't know what would be the, I, it's basically like a install this server from a URL kind of sort of thing. Uh, I would start, I'm starting to lean that way in my brain, just like, you know, maybe there's one server, this MAMP style server that we all load up, but then you don't like get the visual stuff that MAMP provides. So I don't know. I might just stick doing MAMP for a while. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I second know. the Vagrant thing. That's too, that's nice too. If you have the kind of time or the personnel that can kind of get that stuff set up. I, I, I like the idea that we have these little clonable dev environments that you can kind of share around. Yeah. Cause I, I'm like in the process, I'm probably going to get a new computer or whatever. And like, Oh, okay. I have to get a new computer. I hope like MAMP installs and I'll have to pull all those files over to like make sure MAMP installed correctly. So that looks kind of bogus. So Vagrant would be pretty cool because it's like new machine, cloud. I just type and I have my server environment, my dev environment. Right. But and there might even, you know, anyway, the database is there. Yeah. Cool stuff. Anyway, Nathan Gross asks, it's 2013. What's up with setting type in pixels, M's, and rems, or even percentages? I understand the differences in theory, but in practice, I really only use pixels. I get the pixels are static, not relative. They don't really mean much with today's high DPI screens, etc. Do I suck it up and get comfy with the modern approach to type, or are pixels okay? <clears throat> Sorry, I'm coughing. Uh, I... I will come out and say I think pixels are okay, um, but I really I think you should lean towards thinking relatively, especially with responsive design and all that stuff, and use M's and REMs. Like REMs are actually really awesome. It's just that they don't make it to IE8, which usually screws people up, you know. So. Yeah, I I'm I code all my font sizes in M's and REMs for the most part. So um I would totally do that. Um yeah. Historically pixels have like kind of frozen values forever for some browsers and they still kind of do that. So if somebody tries to zoom in like command plus or whatever, zoom in. Oh, that's they, still a problem. Screwed. Huh. I think like, you know, older browsers will never get it right, but um but I don't. I think most browsers have kind of like gotten better at it. So yeah, yeah. I, I mean, as far as I knew, that that wasn't a big problem anymore. I mean, it was kind of the big deal back in the day. Is don't use pixels because you can't resize them, and resizing is important for accessibility. And, uh, and uh, indeed, it is. You know, if you can't command plus and view bigger type, I'm like, screw you. But that you know, now that there's browser zooming and stuff, I haven't seen that in a long time. Although I guess you know, theoretically, mm-hmm. if there's a you have a big like IE7 base or something, I forget which browser it cut off that it, that that started to be yeah. okay. And the bigger deal for me these days is that pixels don't they don't cascade at all. So like mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a lot harder. I mean, think of how many times you've set font size on your entire website. It's probably a lot, right? Hopefully, it's not too too many because that's like kind of indicated of, of of bad architecture. But it's probably still a lot, even if you have good architecture. Now, adjust. You know, we, we you should know that that when you kind of make drastic changes in screen size, that that same font size isn't going to work all the way up and down. 
you're going to have to change them all. They're all going to have to change. So when you squish it, are you going to rewrite all of them as you will have to do with pixels? Or is there a way that you can kind of harness the cascade a little bit and and make smaller changes that, that have to change it? Maybe you can get away with just changing it on the HTML element. If you just use rem all the way through or even M. Uh, maybe that won't work. Maybe there's some things that need to stay because they're already pretty small or whatever. And, you know, you got to be a little fancy with it. But, uh, ideally, you, when you change media queries in a kind of, in a big way for a, let's say a much smaller screen, uh, hopefully that's just a few, you know, a few changes and you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, like, you so only get I that with pictures. Trent- you only get that with REMs or M's. Yeah, like Trent Walton's blog is a good example. I've, he's my coworker, but um, he he basically is only changing the body font size as it goes up, which that can be risky, and you should do like a sub element. But it more or less it's working, right? And so like he's just scaling up, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it maintains like a comfortable reading length. And but then he also does other things like vertical media queries. Like he decided, oh, at this thing on a short laptop, it's actually kind of obnoxious. So if it's a short laptop, I'm going to shrink the font size a little bit. You know, if you're doing that in pixels, like you have to go and write a media query, a vertical media query for every place you set a font size in your whole website, like your sidebar, your, you know, your blog post, your poll quote, your, you know, everything like your, you have to like, go through and write a vertical media query for each of those. That's huge amounts of bloat. So it, it makes sense to leverage the like relativity, like what Chris was saying, just like exp- just build a system of proportions and then, then you can do whatever you want with them. So, cause when you're 20, you think a 12 point font size. Is yeah. Really cool. That totally happened to me but, when I was younger. I didn't even think about it. I'm like, Oh, grow up or, or, or get younger or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, get younger, old people. But when you're 30, you're like a 16 point font size. <laughs> Pixel font size is really awesome. So think about that stuff. I don't know. And when you're Zeldman's age, apparently it's like 150. <laughs> he doesn't even wear <laughs> glasses. On him. No, he's fine. He's just, he was like, I just, I want this. Deal with yeah. it. I loved it. <laughs> so anyway, that's. You. I think we answered it, right? Okay. Alfred K. This is the last question, guys. Womp, womp, womp. Here we go. I have a SAS preprocessor question as if you guys are, uh, as you guys are pros in this field. What do you suggest to use on a Windows machine to replace Compass and Code Kit? Compass and Code Kit, because it's mainly Mac usage. Thanks a lot, Alfred. I got two. Well, yeah. So preprocess is one, PR. Pre-process. Or pre-proc or something. It's just preprocessor just truncated at the C that I've heard good things about. And I was just poking through a slide share presentation today um, that linked up one called Koala. Koala-app.com. Have you heard of it, Dave? I mean it looks it looks I very similar. It. Looks very similar to pre-proc. And it just it, it basically these are code kit clones. So mm-hmm. so shout out to you know, and even live reload is older than code kit, although the the I feel like the the more popular UI, the code kit look has kind of won the battle of what these things should look like. So both Koala and and Preproc basically just kind of ripped off code kit, you know. So I can only imagine what that feels like. Uh but still these are, you know, they're open source and he kind of proved that these that these things are awesome. 
and they're needed mm-hmm. and they do they do good work. They're in a way, like we described earlier, a grunt like a, a opinionated version of grunt with a UI. And by the way, mm-hmm. I really think that somebody could could really kill it with a um with a, a grunt a GUI. grunt GUI that was really good, you know, like make it limited, you know, like you can't it can't possibly have GUI controls for every single grunt plugin because some of them are very like abstract. But for the for the big important ones, oh man, a grunt GUI would be so cool. Uh, I forgot my train of I, thought. I was so enamored by the coolness that that would be. Um, yeah, that sounds like a dream. Prepros, I would go prepros alphapixels.com prepros. It, this makes me want to like it, it looks so good. I'm like that makes me want to switch to Windows. <laughs> like totally, it's just like I, I could fit that into my workflow. It's beautiful. They have it for Mac. It really oh, is installing. <laughs> I saw some real yeah. early versions of it, and it was, I was oh, gosh, you can't even find it because preproc is so prepros with the net. Oh, it's pre-pros. oh, I thought it was proc. I totally ignore it earlier. Pros prepros, which is weird, but that's cool. Oh, it has yep. the has kind of the flat UI thing going on. Pretty nice. I like it. Look. Um, so I think that would work. For you, just fine. Um, yeah, they have a pro Windows. version. Good for them. That's smart. Wonder what it does. Bonus deployment. Hmm. Mm. Wow. Oh, also the guys at Mixture IO. That's a good one too. Mixture. Yeah, and that's cross platform. Um, cross platform. There you go. And they got a little deployment stuff built in. So check that out. Okay, that's it for all our questions. This is a rapid fire show. Thank you for listening. Very simple. Much. Dave has some outro stuff usually. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thanks you guys for the questions and the live kind of broadcast of this. Thanks for testing that out with us. We might, well, we're going to powwow and think about how it went. And uh, yeah, Chris, you got anything else you want to say? Yeah, that'll be it for me. Shopdogshow.com.